goes on and on and on It's magnetic, it's prophetic It's got stories being told Hey, welcome back to the Jesus Magnet Podcast I'm your host Joel And I've got my wonderful wife Laura here with me And we are on the road We have made it to Nelson in New Zealand And uh, joined today we have Abigail Smithy Smithies Am I saying that right? Smithies. Yeah, Smithies. Awesome. And um, yeah, Abigail, you're here at Youth Venture in mm-hmm. Nelson. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about Youth Venture? So Youth Venture is a trust that started um, working with at-risk youth. Um, they'd come out here and participate in mentoring programs and get out on the farm digging holes, basically, which is a great outlet for youth. Um, and yeah. then just recently, the main guy that was living here, Des, and running it, um, he's moved into town, and Matt has moved on site and taken over, and it's going in a slightly different direction now. We're aiming towards raising families and faith, but still very much working with youth and young adults, as well as families. Oh, cool. That's super cool. I really like that. Um, so, and you're, you're like full-time on site, well, not full-time doing it, you work at a medical center doing the reception there as well yes i do 13 to 15 hours a week as a medical receptionist from home which is so nice and then the rest (laughs) of the time i do a lot of volunteering for youth venture yeah um, a lot of event organizing and all sorts of different things yeah so cool and you've got many horses here (laughs) yes i've got two miniature horses which everyone loves and do (laughs) cart rides and pony rides and May or may not run them off the side of my bike sometimes down the road. <laughs> <laughs> when we're driving past them on the way here, I'm like, they're not much bigger than the sheep they're next to. <laughs> no, not at all. Like, the, there are dogs that are bigger than them. Wow. Yeah, wow. Um, so, and you're, you're quite into your horses as well. I'm sure we'll hear about that in your testimony a little bit with your horses that you were telling us about or... Mm-hmm. Yes, I used to be into horses in a big way. I still yeah. really love them. Yeah, awesome. Um, so yeah, let's just get get into the start, the crux of your your testimony. Um, and yeah, you can start wherever you want. Laura and I will jump in and out with different questions and get you to mm-hmm. expand in different areas. But yeah, the floor is yours. Let's hear your story. Awesome. So I suppose it starts when I was a kid because that's where all good stories start. Um, <laughs> So when I was really young, life was great. I had a few younger siblings, um, nothing dramatic happened. And then when I was probably like five-ish, I developed severe eczema all over my whole body um, and it significantly impacted my quality of life. And that it just started and gradually got worse and worse and worse. When you were five? Yeah, so about five onwards. Um Ooh. I don't remember exact dates or anything because I mm-hmm. couldn't remember much. Yeah. And when things are a bit traumatic, then you kind of don't remember them anyway. So mm. I don't remember the exact age, but I think it was about five. Yeah. So eczema causes uh, itchiness and rashes. Is that right? Yes. So basically I would have rashes over almost my whole entire body. The only thing that didn't have rashes were the soles of my feet and my face. Wow. Um, and they'd usually often bleed, though, incredibly itchy, and they'd just be weeping open sores covering my whole body. So wow. my clothes that would stick intense. to me. And, yeah, it's pretty crazy because people often think of eczema as just a rash in your elbows mm. or behind your knees. Yeah. But when it covers your whole body, it's so much more than that because yeah. it affects every single part of you. Yeah. 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 Wow. 
Um, okay, so and that that only started when you were five, is that right? Yeah, roughly. Okay, yeah. why did it crack in just then and none, none before that? Any uh, idea? I'm I'm not sure. Just that's just when it started to come out. Yeah, well, yeah. When, when I was a small kid, it just started, and I assume it just got worse and worse. Mm. And then it was at its worst when I was about seven or eight, okay. and that was when it was significantly impacting my quality of life. Yeah, and everything I could do. Yeah, make yeah. make it hard to do things. Yeah, really hard. Anything, like, really. I remember I'd be like lying or on a couch or sitting on a couch reading a book, mm. and then I'd have these weeping sores behind my leg, and they would the blood would dry, so my leg would be stuck bent. And then when yeah. I would stand up, the skin would tear and it would start oh. bleeding again. So sometimes I just walk around with my arms and legs like all bent up, um, wow, just because it was really painful to yep. open them. And yeah, that's that's yeah. pretty hardcore um, eczema. I've, yeah, actually, we have had one friend, haven't we, Laura um, Izzy? Oh, they had yep, really Izzy bad ex- eczema as well. Um, so have you been healed from that? Yes, throughout? I've been completely healed from that. Amen. And the doctor at the hospital said it was a miracle because um, it got so bad. I, at one point, I spent a whole week in hospital, just massive steroids, antibiotics, bandages over my whole body yeah. just to try and get it under control. And it would improve and then it would rebound again yeah. worse than before. And at the end, the only um, treatment the doctor could offer, the dermatologist at the hospital could offer, was chemotherapy. Mom. That was just eczema is your immune system attacking itself. Um, oh. Because the skin is one of your body's biggest organs. Mm. So chemotherapy wipes out your immune system. Mm. Mm. So they're like, if we do this, this is going to fix the eczema. Yeah. But it's also going to be terrible for the rest of my health, mm. terrible for my body, um, yeah. and increase my risks of getting cancer dramatically. So mum and dad were like, we can't do this. Like, mm. We can't put our kid that doesn't have cancer through chemotherapy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they wow. basically prayed and they're like, God, you just like have to, you, you need to do something because we, we just can't get going like this. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was pretty crazy. Man. And was it like a, um, a quick healing or did it take some time? Or how did I've been prayed for for years. Yeah. People have been praying for me for years. Um, I've been to all sorts of different events and been anointed with oil and pastors and elders laying on of hands. I've you're still a little here. kid at this point as a seven or eight year old. No, so this is a few years later. This is probably 10 or 11. Okay. Um, yep. But it had been really bad for years and years. Mm. Um, and so I've been prayed for heaps of times and nothing had ever worked. And it just never really. Um, but we kept praying. And it sounds weird, but I always had so much faith. But I think mm. when you're a kid, you're kind of just like, well, of course God will heal me. Just not today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, I look back at it now and I'm like, wow, how did I think that God was still going to heal me? Because I was just like, every day just sucked so much. But in the back of my head, I was like, one day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then um, we were at this healing meeting for Western Carrier, who's since passed away. But he used to travel around New Zealand doing healing meetings. Um, and we were at his healing meeting. He prayed for me. Nothing happened like every other time I've been prayed for. Um, and then he put me on his prayer chain. And a couple of days later, I woke up and my skin was perfectly normal. Like, wow. Even all the scarring that the doctors had said would be permanent had just like completely gone. Whoa. Really? Which is so crazy. Whoa. And the funniest thing is I didn't even notice I'd been healed. <laughs> because when you when you have normal skin, you don't notice you have skin. Yeah, it's just true. Pa- it's just it's just part of you. It's just your skin. Pain is something that creates notice. Create, you know. Yeah, and and I would notice my skin because it was itchy all the time, mm. or bleeding all the time, or weeping all the time. But when it was perfectly normal, I didn't even notice it. So how long did you go? One day, two days, two weeks? 
Mum would put cream on me every morning. Yeah. Um, so I got out of bed and was going about my, my normal morning routine. Mm. And then mum was putting cream on and she's like, your skin's fine. <laughs> We're like, what? Yeah. Wow. And, and you're, what do you say, 10 or 11? Yeah. So I had really bad eczema for seven years. Yeah. So whatever seven plus five is, is however Twelve. old I was. Yeah. yeah about, awesome. about there. Man. Yeah. That's awesome. It's so crazy. <laughs> that is, that's a really, really cool, uh, just instant testimony. I love the childlike faith in that. Yeah. yeah. Um, all of that. Yeah. Very cool. Um, what did the doctor say? The doctor said it was a miracle. The dermatologist <laughs> at the hospital was like, we can't really explain this, but it's a miracle. That's awesome. <laughs> Which is the coolest part. <laughs> that is so neat. Um, and... I just really want to bring this up. I don't know if you're, going, you're probably going to talk about it, but mm-hmm. um, if anybody listening has seen the movie Cheaper by a Dozen, <laughs> which is a movie with these parents and they've got 12 kids, <laughs> <laughs> Abigail is the oldest of a dozen yep. kids. That's amazing. It's very noisy, but it's lots <laughs> of fun. <laughs> There's always someone to play with or there's always someone to annoy. Yeah, it is awesome. It's good fun. So what was life growing up with? I mean, you must have always had a younger sibling on the way. A few, yep. Yeah, pretty much. It was it was quite difficult, actually, in a way, because I was the oldest one, so I would need to help mum a lot. Because mm. um, mum had, like, what, six children aged eight and under or something yeah. crazy like that. But I was really sick and... I wasn't able to. So my younger siblings had to pick up a lot of slack. Mm. And mum had to put cream on me and take me to hospital appointments. And yep. um, I got a lot of attention and things that the other younger siblings didn't necessarily get. True. So yeah. it was just it was kind of an interesting dynamic. Mm. Yeah. But it was great fun because there's always someone to, someone to annoy or someone doing yeah. something interesting that you could join in with. So would you say that you more or less grew up a little bit faster than probably the average um, child because you had to be the babysitter sometimes. And, and I mean, it's all good mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. I mean, you're still, still with your brothers and sisters. Yeah. But your responsibility was far greater than probably the average child mm. uh, growing yeah. up. Yeah. yeah, I would say definitely that sense of responsibility is very strong. Mm. Um. But then I'm a, I'm a responsible person anyway. So how much of that is because I'm the oldest of twelve, or how much yeah. of that is because I'm a responsible person? Mm, and anyway. you have a huge capacity. You go to how many different Bible studies throughout the week? <laughs> um, there's one on Monday, one on Tuesday, two on Wednesday, and two on Thursdays. The <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I have to alternate weeks: one week at one and one week at the other. <laughs> there has to be a correlation between the amount of Bible studies people go to and the amount of siblings they grow up with. <laughs> I am convinced. <laughs> or the number of horses they used to own. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you said, um, was it you sold 60 throughout the year? Was it or 90 or yeah, something at, like that? At the peak, I was selling on behalf about 65 horses a year when I was running my horse business. Yeah. Um, but I'd have a lot more come through than that because a lot of horses, I'd break them in and they go back to their owner. They wouldn't be for sale. Okay. Or they'd send me their horse and they're like, can you teach it to jump or can you ride yep. it down the road past trucks or whatever they wanted. Have you seen you um, Heartland? Mm, Heartland. I started watching, but it's really cringy if you know lots about <laughs> horses. So I got frustrated and stopped. 
Yeah, it's that's, like, that's the like, extent of my horse knowledge yeah. right there, that show. <laughs> it's like I was watching The Man from Snowy River, or it might not have been that one, another movie, and there was this herd of wild horses galloping through the snow, <laughs> and they all had shoes on. <laughs> True. <laughs> this herd of wild horses had shoes on. Oh, <laughs> uh, awesome. Wasn't like stilettos or anything, eh? No, just normal just... metal shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so let's go back to our story in Christchurch. You've been totally healed from mm-hmm. this horrible skin uh, rash, eczema. Yeah. And um, obviously that's stumped the doctors, but you carried on with life. You will be at high school around this point, starting to go into high school. What happened after that? So I was homeschooled the whole way through. Okay. Which is probably amazing because i don't think i would have coped at school because my health was just so bad i mm. i don't think i could yep. have coped at school and so it was amazing that i was homeschooled and it opened up a lot of opportunities mm. um so when i was really sick with eczema i was so unwell the doctors gave me a year at riding for disabled because my eczema was so bad it counted as a disability wow. and that was like such a provision from god because that was like this horse riding once a week was just like the one thing in my week that I looked forward to. Mm. I literally, the only light in my week was horse riding. So I did that for a year. Um, and then at the end of the year, you have to go back on a waiting list for another year. Oh, wow. And what they do at RDA is a lot of exercises and not so much riding lessons, but more horse therapy and exercises to get you moving your body and hanging mm. out with the horses, um, which wasn't, I felt like if I was on the waiting list for another year and then went back, it would have potentially been boring Mm. and taking up the space from someone that really needed it Mm. when it was amazing at the time and it was the only light in my week but so we started praying for some more horse riding opportunities and then we're at church on Christmas Eve Mm. and this lady in front of us who we hadn't met before I don't think just turned around and said which one of you likes horses (laughs) and of course there's me and all my siblings just lined up on the road behind her and everyone's like Abby likes horses (laughs) <laughs> um, and it it turned out that she was keeping her horse at this place in Hulls or just near our house. And the lady who owned the land had leased a pony for her grandchildren who had then taken up football instead. So mm. she had this pony with no one to ride it. And she was a dressage judge and she taught at Pony Club. And um, she's a very good, very amazing horse person. So for the next four years, she let me ride this pony. So I'd go around once a week and she'd give me riding lessons and we'd go down the road. Oh, I wow. took him to some shows. Wow. And it was just amazing blessing from God. Yeah. We're riding for disabled to finish and he's like, okay, here's another horse riding opportunity. Mm, yeah. And here's some real lessons with a, an amazing dressage yeah. coach or just an amazing horse person in general. Mm. Um, wow, so, what a blessing. So that's, yeah. how I, that's how I got into horses. What was her name? Did you want to give yeah, her a shout name. out? Her name's Judith, and she's amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, Judith. You know, yep. it just goes so far when, when you can do that for somebody else, eh? Yeah. And you, you sometimes actually don't know if you're that answer to prayer at that moment. So, Judith, well done for, you know, being obedient and being the answer to prayer. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. God just works everything out, and he just cares about all the details, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So what happened after... That so you're highly involved in your horses. Mm-hmm. Um, you had this pony that you went once a week. Yeah. So you were from five to to twelve. You were had the, had the eczema. Yes. Broke out from the eczema, um, and from twelve to what age were you riding this pony? 
Yeah, so I wrote over four years, so probably eight to 13 or 14. Yeah. Um, and then he got quite old, so Judith found another horse for me, and she leased him so I could ride him. So then I started riding Seriously? him. Yeah, she's so amazing. Wow. So I started riding him a bit more often and doing a few more things, which was really cool. Um, and I also started studying for Cambridge exams, mm. I think, around 14 or 15, uh, maybe 15. Okay. Um, so instead of NCA, we did Cambridge exams. Right. Um, and What's the difference in those? It's like, I think Cambridge exams is more internationally recognised. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't really know much about NCA because I have no experience with it. Me neither, because I've never passed. Yeah. Um, and also, like, all of us kids were really entrepreneurial, if that's the right word for it. Like, we'd always have little things going, and at one point in time, we were doing pet sitting. So we would look after people's pets, and mm. they would go on holiday. Um, so we'd bike around the subdivisions where we lived in Preppleton and Christchurch, and you know, feed people's cats and take their dogs for walks. and It's actually a really good business, that. Mm, yes. Yeah. Mm. And I got real, there, there were some cats that we looked after. One of them needed a pill and one of them needed an injection. And they mm. both hated it. So I'm now excellent at <laughs> diplomatically shoving pills down cats' throats. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, but there was, there was one guy we looked after. He had some horses. Um, he had a couple of old broodmares um, just sitting in a paddock and... He used to train racehorses, but he mm. just had some, some broodmares sitting in a paddock and he'd often go away for work. Yeah. Um, and he was like, I think he was like eight kilometers from my house. Mm. So I'd bike out there twice a day, rain, hail or shine, and feed these horses for him. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, and then one day he came back and he sold his property, he put it on the market, and he rang up my parents and tried to give me one of his horses. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And she's a, she was an 11-year-old ex-race horse, and she'd never had a rider on her back. And I'm lucky my parents knew nothing about horses, or they would have never agreed to it, <laughs> because I had been riding very quiet old horses for years mm. and had no experience with racehorses that had never been ridden by a rider. It had only pulled a cart. Um, oh, wow. So it was, a, it was a harness racer. Yeah. Um, but my parents said, if you find somewhere to keep it and you can – pay for it yourself, you can have this horse. Um, so I think I was 14 when I got got given that horse. Her, name, wow. her name's Millie, and she's just, honestly, she's the best thing in my life. <laughs> Do you still have her? No, I don't. She's passed away now because oh. she was 11 when I got her at 14. True. Um, but I had her for the whole rest of her life. Yeah. And broke her in myself, which was... At bit, 14? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Having literally no clue what I was doing. And I look back now at things I did with her, and I'm like, how did I not die? But God is good. And <laughs> luckily, this horse was 11 and had been a racehorse, so she was probably like, this is a crazy person. Mm. And just went along with it. <laughs> Man. Like, I'd only been on her back, like, twice before. And yeah. I was, like, galloping her around the racetrack with no one else around at 14. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Oh, that's awesome. Man. Um, I just was reminded now, I can't believe it took me this long to think of her, but we had this person on our podcast, uh, Joe Preby, and she mm-hmm. um, was really into horses too and travelled from Canada to Mexico on horseback. Took her oh, eight wow. and a half months. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you should check, try that out one day. She did it when she was about th- early 30s, I think. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like an adventure. <laughs> yeah, two, two horses, yeah. One, wow. one for her luggage. Yeah. yeah. 
pretty neat though. Um, she, so yeah, cool. she's on the podcast. Anyone listening, you can check out that episode, Joe Preby. Um, but yeah, so um, how did that impact your social life um, much with having horses? Did you get to meet different horse people and all ride together? Because you were, said you were riding solo around the track a lot. But did you go into a horse club? So the place where I kept my horse had no other horses on oh. the property. Um, and pony club was awkward because it was always on a Sunday. And mum and dad were always like, church is the priority and we're not just... I was yep. like, we can go to church at night. And they're like, no, we're not moving God out of the way for our lives. Like, mm. you know, there'll be other other shows on Saturday or other opportunities mm. will come up. Yep. Um, so it was really important for them to go to church every Sunday. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so we'd, I'd just take up any opportunity that I could to take my horse out there. And the first few times I took her out, I literally had no clue what I was doing. Sometimes I struggled to even get her in the float. Mm. And my poor father, who was towing our horse float with, our 11-seater children's <laughs> van. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't need it. Probably need to be a bit grantier, eh? Yeah, probably. Yeah. The old two-litre petrol. <laughs> <laughs> you know, foot flat at 80 kilometres an hour. Mm. <laughs> and then this horse in the back that I really had no clue what I was doing with. Mm. Um, but yeah, took her out to a few shows and convinced Dad to get up first thing in the morning on Saturday mornings and go out. We didn't go to heaps of shows. Mm. But I did a did a few like the local AMP show and So what do you do at those shows? It depends. Some um, some of them are jumping, some of them you just ride around in circles basically and they judge which horse has the best confirmation or the best movement oh. or which is the best rider depending on what class you've entered. Mm. Or dressage where you're in an arena and you've got to perform a series of movements in a set pattern mm. um within the arena. It just or endurance riding where you've got to Ride a course over 10, 20, 50 kilometers. Yeah. And ride the right course and come back with your horse having good heart rates and still being sound. Mm. So there's all sorts of different things. And I tried everything. <laughs> yeah, good on you. Um, so did that develop a sense of achievement, like courage in you from that early age, being able to almost conquer that? Well, I, I wasn't scared. So I didn't have to overcome fear. Mm. But for me, it was just like, I just loved horses and horses had always been my outlet mm. and my safe space or my happy space. And just having my horse where I was literally could do whatever I wanted with her. Yeah. Um, so I just try things and usually be terrible at them. Mm. I turned up to an AMP show and they're really fancy and people normally have all sorts of gear and equipment and, you mm. know, there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. I did everything the wrong way. <laughs> like I, I, I was trying to pay for my horse myself at 14. So mm. I literally made my own saddle blanket from old towels that mum had that I sewed together oh. on a sewing machine. And the sewing machine didn't really like sewing through multiple towels and stuffing. <laughs> <laughs> and then I used the same saddle blanket at the AMP shows, you know, like just, that's just not how you do things. But- <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you, you remind me of my dad a little bit. He, he had horses growing up and he just was uh, bareback. Oh, yes. Yeah. I did that too for a while, but until I found a saddle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the reason I ask about the confidence is because um, I used to teach uh, drums as mm-hmm. a drum teacher. And many of the kids that I ended up bringing through the lessons, they were normally very shy kids or, or yeah. things like that, and their parents just wanted them to try something. And I always do the lessons for free the first one mm-hmm. or two times. And to watch them 
conquer something. Mm-hmm. Now they can play something well. Um, it created a confidence in them that they never had before. Yes. So I was wondering if, was it something similar to that when you started getting good at horse with, with your horses and riding them and going around the shows and things like that? Did that build that confidence as a young girl? Yeah, for sure. It was, it was definitely very much like, I'm good at this thing. I enjoy this thing. My horse loves me. Like, mm. you know, it's a great feeling when you turn up at your horse paddock and the horse sees your vehicle or mm. sees your bike and comes running over or, yeah. you know, knickers out to you. It's just like, oh, my horse loves me. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, and I think I hadn't done a lot of sport. Like, we were quite an active family. We we're always out doing different homeschool events and different sporting events and things. Mm. And I always often found it quite difficult to participate because of my health. So I've tried a lot of different things, but I've never been as good at them as a lot of my siblings that did them regularly. Mm. Um, so I think horses was something where I was like, okay, I can commit to this. I'm mm. good at this. And when I would go to a show, I would realize I was not good at this compared to everyone else. But I was only judging myself based on how far I'd come with my horse. You know, when I yeah. got my horse, she'd never been ridden. You know, so now I could give my siblings rides on her sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, the, comparing yourself to other people is uh, not always wise. Um, no, it's a trap, isn't it? Because <laughs> you, you, if anybody's listening, you can compare yourself to There's always someone better at you at everything that you can do, possibly. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, we compare our best with sorry we compare our worst with someone else's best yeah and that's not fair Mm. not fair on us or on them absolutely (laughs) because they have things they're terrible at or you know Mm. you see people riding their horses around at shows looking all glamorous and then you know sometimes they got bucked off three days in a row beforehand or Mm. you know the the horse put a foot through the fence and it's just come back from an injury like there's all sorts of things it's Mm. with horses it's never as glamorous as it looks Mm. (laughs) yeah true so obviously that brought you into working with horses as, mm-hmm. as an actual profession. Yeah, so I had so I had this one horse, Millie, and started taking her to some shows and I'd give my siblings and friends rides on her. And then I was like, well, she's probably just really lonely living in a paddock on her own. Um, and I had friends that would have younger siblings and I'm like, oh, mm. she's quite a big horse and it's not really fun to put, you know, tiny children on a big horse Mm. so I was like I think I need another horse so I thought I'd look for something small Mm. um like a just like a a normal just like a nice Welsh pony or something so I was looking on trade me and then there were these two miniature horses that I saw and they're a lot smaller than I was looking at and there were two of them not one Mm. but I looked at them and I don't really remember how it happened but I just like looked at them and something clicked and I said to mum they're on trade me for I don't know I think I can't remember the price, but they're on trade me for a decent price. Mm. And I said to mum, I'm going to ring up and ask if she'll give them to me. And mum's like, don't do that. Mum's like, you can't do that. And I was like, I think God wants me to have these horses. So I rang up the lady and I explained the situation and the home I could offer. And she said, no, I do want to sell them. And I'm like, okay. And then the next morning she rang back and she's like, I couldn't sleep all night long. And I want you to have these ponies. So... She gave them to me for free. I took them on lease. So they still belonged to her, but they're in my mm. position. I could do whatever I wanted with them, mm. cover the cost of looking after them. And that's Bella and Ruby, the two miniatures you saw right there. I've wow. still got them now. Wow. Yeah. So they were two years old when I got them. 
Um, and the lady had really big, I think they were Alsatian dogs or husky dogs, mm. and they were chasing the ponies. Mm. Um, so that's why she needed to rehome the ponies. So they came to live with me, and they've just been amazing. And, yeah, a few years later, I did buy them. Mm. But it was just amazing how God just, again, works everything out. Yeah. My mum just had a heart attack when I was ringing this stranger off trade me to tell her to give me my, give, give me her horses. <laughs> give me, yeah. Might try that with my next real estate agent and see how that goes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you should give me this house. <laughs> God wants me to have this house. <laughs> That's really cool. Actually, to be fair, we, I say that now, but we've had people that have had houses given to yeah. them. Actually, yeah. the last guy that we had on the podcast had a house given to him. That's um, amazing. His name was... Uh, John, Bruce, John, John, Bruce, John Bruce. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> yeah, John, John wow. had a house given to him, which is pretty cool. Um, okay. Yeah. So what would end up happening with, with your, I know you've got these mini ponies yeah. with us here. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of time in between then and now. Yeah. So, so then I had Millie and then these two little miniature horses, Bella and Ruby. So I kind of accidentally. You said mini? Miniature horses. No, what are the names? Oh, so the big one's called Millie. Oh, Millie. I thought you called her Minnie. <laughs> Minnie I was like, Minnie that's, <laughs> that's a little bit mean. <laughs> no, so the big one, Millie, she's my first horse. And then the next two, Bella and Ruby, they're the miniature horses. Oh, okay. Right. Um, and so then I had three horses and I accidentally started a riding school. Oh. Accidentally started. Because I had to figure out a way to pay for these horses. Mm. And I'd have all my lots of friends would be like, oh, I'd love to come ride your horse. And I'm like, sure, come ride my horse. And it's, mm. you know, $10 for a hay bale sort of thing. Yeah. Um, And then I'd watch them ride and I'd usually give them some hints and it just developed from there. And it wasn't long before I had, oh, I don't know, probably 10 students coming every week yeah. to um, ride Millie and to work with the miniature horses. Entrepreneurial spirit really is in your blood with your family. Then yes, it's very strong in my family. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So, how old were you when you started this? About fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. Fifteen-ish, um, and yeah, some things were a bit sketchy here and there because I didn't really know much. But mm. the people enjoyed coming out and riding my horses, and the horses enjoyed the people coming out to ride them, and all the attention and all that. It was a yeah. way to pay for them, and. Then I just started acquiring extra horses, usually by accident. Like, I never went out looking for horses. They just mm. came. I don't know. They fell out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> now, the next horse that I got, his name is Colby. And um, somehow or other, I ended up having him for some training. And the lady said, look, I'm just going to give him to you. So then I had another horse. Wow. Um, <laughs> And it just it just grew from there. So when I was 15, I was doing Cambridge exams part-time, and then I was doing my business part-time. Mm. So I'd get up early in the morning, get all my schoolwork done, mm. and then I'd go out and play with horses all afternoon. Mm. And that was a, a great lifestyle, and it was really cool. I was homeschooled because if I was mm. at school and I didn't get back till 3.30 or 4.30 mm. off a bus in winter, it's dark, mm. and I wouldn't yeah. have been able to um, put all this time into the horses. Wow. So as a as a... Christian, mm-hmm. did you was it was with your horses at a place that you would be able to reminisce with God as well and all that? Yeah, for sure. I felt like horses brought me closer to God. Mm. It sounds kind of weird, but a lot of people say that being out in nature or being around animals mm. um, brings people closer to God. Yeah, no, and, I believe that. Yeah, you know, um, I my, you know how everyone has their prayer closet. Yes, 
Mine's just going for a walk. It can be anywhere. Just nobody around me, and mm. that's my prayer closet. Yes. Don't, I don't have. I don't even care if I'm praying in tongues in the middle of town and I've got these strangers around me. Yeah. I, that's my prayer closet. I'll, yeah. I'll go do that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just, you know, everybody's a little bit different, but that's mm-hmm. really cool that um, often your passion um, that God gave you mm. is where you connect with God. He yes. wants to work with you in those passions, those desires of your heart. Yeah. Yeah. He's put those desires on your heart mm. for a reason. Like it's not there for for no reason. Yeah. And I guess in a way it brought me closer to God too because I didn't really know what I was doing. So if my horse started developing a problem or um, mm. being naughty or misbehaving, I didn't know what to do with it. I'd be like, God, I don't know what to do with this horse. Mm. You don't know. And then something would also, you know, I'd see a YouTube video or – some trainer would be coming to the area and I'd go have a lesson with her. Mm. You know, like God would always bring something along and I'd be like, oh, that's how you fix this. Mm. That's amazing. This is what that's I need good. to do for this situation. I really like that because you didn't just, you know, you're like, Lord, what do I do? And he didn't just fix the horse for you. Yeah. He <laughs> yeah. showed you how to do it. Yes. Or so, he put people in my life or showed me tools so yeah. that I could fix the horse myself. Yeah. Which is basically how I started a horse training business mm. later. Yeah. Um, where people would send me horses from all over the South Island, really, to train yeah. and break in and mm. whatever else. I really like yeah. that key to that, eh? Um, when when you pray for something and then God answers you, normally a lot of the time it's in, in a teaching. Mm. So he teach you how to do something. And um, it's like a a fat person praying to be thin. Yeah. And never never decides the Lord saying, you know, go to the gym or go for a walk or something like that. They're just hoping that the Lord will make them thin one day. Yeah, they do something. <laughs> and the other thing is, too, if you're not getting an answer, maybe you're asking the wrong question. Mm. Or maybe like, it's no. <laughs> yeah, but like with horses, a lot of it's the wrong question. So, you know, if mm. I'm saying, why is my horse being naughty or why mm. does my horse hate me or whatever, um, that's completely the wrong question. I need to look at, have I set the horse up? Does the horse know the answer to this question? Mm. Um, you know, what am I projecting onto this horse? Yeah. What are my expectations that aren't fair to this horse? Mm. You know, so it's, a lot of it is just asking the right question. Mm. Um, and then God brings the right people along to answer that question once you've found the right question to ask. Yeah. <laughs> that's really cool. That's good. That's really cool. So what happened after after all this? So I finished my Cambridge exams Passed them, and then I did a year at um, the Te Wananga in Christchurch, mm-hmm. and I did a certificate in business management um, for my riding school. And then after that, I went and just did horses full-time. Um, and it just it grew really quickly, and I ended up with yeah people sending me horses from all over the South Island, mm. and it dramatically increased until I had about 30 horses. Um, I think though, if we just go back to the eczema, when I was healed, I was healed completely physically, but I wasn't healed emotionally. And there Mm. was a lot of like emotional trauma that I carried that I didn't even know I had, and I didn't know how to process. So Mm. when I was a kid, I was really shut down because shutting down is a really great coping mechanism when your life literally sucks and is painful every second minute, single Mm. minute of every day. Mm. Um, so then I just threw myself into horses and I was so busy, I just filled my life with horses mm. and just poured myself out for these horses mm. um, as a way of, I don't know how to explain it, but it was as a way of coping mm. um, from this trauma that I carried in my brain that I didn't even know I carried. I was just like, I love horses. 
but I could never like not do. I did draw your focus away from the trauma. Yes, but I didn't even know I had it, which is mm. the interesting thing because I was just so shut down. And mm. I don't remember how old I was, but I remember there was one point in time when I think it was Christmas Eve and all the kids were super excited and like bouncing off the walls as small kids do. And I remember saying to mum, I was like, I don't feel happy or sad anymore. I'm just always the same. And I think that was quite a pivotal moment when I look back on that years later. I was like, wow, that's how shut down I was. I was never happy or sad. I was just always just existing. Mm. And I I was probably not very old. Like I was probably seven or eight when I said that, but I don't remember the exact age. But then I think horses was my coping mechanism. And I was really good at it, and it provided a lot of validation that I needed at that time. But Mm. I threw myself, as soon as I finished all my study and everything, I just threw myself into horses in a really unhealthy way. Mm. I stopped going to church because I had to go to horse shows because you can't be a good horse trainer if you're never competing and all the shows are on Sundays. Mm. So I stopped going to church. um, And, yeah, I would just literally get up in the morning, ride horses all day, get home, send out my invoices and go to bed. Mm. So some days I'd ride 10 to 20 horses in a day. Um, and then the many hours you spend looking after them as well. Like sometimes it'd be the middle of winter and I'd be up to my ears in mud picking up horse poo with hay down my neck. And I'd be like, this this sucks. <laughs> but then other days you're galloping down a beach and you're getting mm. paid to do it, mm. which is the most incredible thing ever. Yeah. Did you find it was uh, more like one degree off from um, compromising? Uh, maybe to not go to church and then did that lead to not being in prayer with with the Lord and not spending time with God as much, or was it just church that you left out? I was always a Christian. Mm. Like, I was never not a Christian, but I was just definitely not, like, being super close with God. I was like, yes, I believe God exists. But you distanced yourself from him. Mm. Yes, and I think also when I was a kid, we did scripture exams, and it was just like a non-negotiable. You read the Bible and did this and did that. So Mm. as soon as I had a choice, I was like, well, I don't really want to read the Bible right now, and I'm sure mm. God would rather I didn't read it as opposed to read it and hate it. Mm. Um, so I didn't. And <laughs> just put everything into the horses, and I was quite good at the horses. So people mm. would send me horses that other people had tried to fix and not been able to fix. Mm. And it's just amazing what just time and listening to the horse will do. Um, and that was, I think I ran my business for about seven years in total. Mm. Um I'm just trying to think of what point in time we're at at the moment. <laughs> so I suppose yeah. at the peak of my business, I had about 30 to 33 horses on the property at a time. Um, and I'd have horses coming and going almost every day, shows every single weekend. Sometimes I'd have two or three different horse shows in a weekend. Wow. Yeah. Um, I had people come for riding lessons. We did pony parties. I broke horses in, sold them on behalf, mm. like a real estate agent for horses. Um, and then I met this guy and his name is Jason and he had an Asian girl that went to Lincoln University who wanted to have a horse Mm. and wanted to keep the horse on his dairy farm. And he had no knowledge at all about horses. So I ended up hanging out with him a lot, Mm. you know, telling him you need a paddock that's this size and you know, you need this sort of grass for the horse to eat or this much hay for the horse to have and mm. this much water. And and then 
yeah, I'll board a horse and put it on the property. Um, but in where she'd been riding horses in Asia, she hadn't really learned how to look after them. She'd just been taught to ride them. Mm. So then I would give her riding lessons and teach her, you know, how to tack up a horse and how to lunge a horse and all the things that go into horse ownership that isn't necessarily just riding the horse. Mm. So I ended up spending a lot of time on his dairy farm and we started dating. Mm. So I think I was 20 when I met him and we started dating just before I turned 21. So let me get this straight. The, the Asian girl, mm-hmm. she was one of your other friends that got into it? or No, so she, I'd never met her before, but she knew Jason. Right. Um, okay. And she'd approached him to put the horse on his dairy farm. Oh, okay. And then yep. he knew my family and he was like, I need some advice because I know about cows and not about horses. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wondered why they never rode cows. I know they do, you know, <laughs> bull riding, but yeah, why why not cows? I guess they're just not that way inclined. Have you seen cows run and how awkward it looks? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine trying to ride that? <laughs> well, my whole train of thought goes from the idea of um, they're called cowboys and they mm-hmm. ride horses. Why well, they're not called horse, bo- horse boys? Because they're riding horses to wrangle cows. Oh. <laughs> 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 True. <laughs> so if you wrangle horses and you're on a cow, then you'll be a horse boy. Potentially. Okay. <laughs> and some people, like, if you YouTube it, there are people who do ride cows, but they're just not built for it and it just looks so awkward. And Oh, it's actually a thing. Some people do because usually because they, I don't know, live on a, a dairy farm or something and <laughs> their parents won't let them get a horse, so they just tame one of the cows. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, that would just be the funniest thing to witness. Just walk driving down the road and you see this person sitting on a cow, walking down the road on their cow. <laughs> it would just oh, it'd be a good sight, wouldn't it? <laughs> Don't know about good. <laughs> it'd be a very interesting sight, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. But awesome. horses just, I don't know. There's something about horses and how they move and what they like to ride that riding a cow is just definitely not the same. Mm. Horses are just so (laughs) athletic and powerful. And cows are not athletic. No, yeah. Yeah, they're sort of like the the fat counterpart. Um, Short-legged part. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, all right, so you started dating Jason, was it? Yeah, I started dating Jason, and then we went on a missions trip to China. Um, so two of my sisters had earlier been to China um, on was a similar trip. Was it with a particular trip. organization or your church? or? Yeah, it was with um, a guy called Murray. So he would take groups of people over to Asia for trips, and we would do exchanges. So we'd go into universities and talk about New Zealand culture and they'd tell us about their culture. So we'd go mm. into the English-speaking classes in universities. Um, so I had my 21st birthday in Beijing. Wow. <laughs> which is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so we were over there for three weeks and then came back. And so we, yeah, so we started dating just before we went to China. And then we came back and I dated him for about two years in total. Mm. And I ended up moving some of my horses Actually, I ended up moving my whole horse business onto his dairy farm because mm. um, it wasn't as muddy and you could ride to the river and it was just a much better situation. Yeah. Um, so I must have been, what, 20, 22? Mm-hmm. And I saw 
an advertisement for a dressage academy where they had basically they wanted to improve dressage in New Zealand um, and you know remove barriers like cost and education that would normally stop people from being a high performer high performing athlete so they would find people that they thought were good horse riders mm. they would give them a high quality warm blood to train and then they um Bruggs who runs it she's an amazing horse person an amazing dressage rider and a great trainer so she'd give me lessons every day so I sent an application in and they accepted it straight away I went out and did a test ride um so then I went to the dressage academy so I scaled my business back so I would go to the dressage academy in the morning and I would run my business in the afternoon and then I'd hang out with my boyfriend in the evening. Hmm. So it was a really full-on life and I still wasn't really going to church and loosely identifying as a Christian. Um, I lived in a caravan on the dairy farm with my horses hmm. um, right next door to the house my boyfriend lived in. And yeah, it was a very busy life. I remember sometimes I'd get up and help with the morning milking then I'd go out to the, feed my horses. Then I'd be at the Dressage Academy by 8am, um, ride all morning at the Dressage Academy, come back, ride my horses all afternoon, mm. and sometimes jump in with the evening milking again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, wow, full on. I quite liked milking, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. But again, I think I was just so busy because I could just never stop because I had this unresolved trauma that I didn't even know I had. And because I was so shut down, I didn't realize what a normal relationship was supposed to look like. Mm. And I never felt like I had the option to say no if things happened that I wasn't comfortable with. So it ended up being quite a traumatic relationship. And I think that was, I think I was set up for it because of the eczema um, and the emotional trauma from having that just, yeah, just, just carried over. So was your um, partner at the time, uh, Jason, was he a Christian? He was a Christian when I started dating him. Yep. And he I don't think he would identify as a Christian when I finished, when I broke up with him. Okay. So he slowly started to change throughout the re- relationship and turn yeah. away from the Lord. And that actually reflected, was, was the early um, dating of him... Was he one person, and then when when you broke up, he was a different person? So, pretty much, yeah. Um, and I guess when I first started dating him, I didn't really know him. So always, as you get to know a person, your perception of them changes. Mm. Um, yeah. and I'd never been in a relationship before, so I was also I didn't know what to. Or I had no expectations. Mm. Um, but I think he'd been quite hurt by the church, which is really sad, and it was just really difficult for him to. To get over that. Mm. Um, okay. So, yeah, so I dated him for two years. So I was, how old I was? I must have been 23. And I was milking cows sometimes, dating Jason, running my horse business at the Dressage Academy, mm. competing in horse shows. Um, and then I got really sick. Like I couldn't get out of bed without fainting for two months. Oh, wow. And... It was. I've never experienced anything like it in my whole entire life. It was completely crazy. What was it? Just a burnout? Well, I, th- I think I got a virus. Okay. I was burnt out on top of that. All the emotional stuff, it just, just hit me. Um, and then I've also got some health conditions that have been diagnosed now that we didn't know I had. So they all just went together mm. in like, I guess a perfect storm, if you like. So 
the two for two months I was in bed, couldn't get out of bed without basically fainting. I spent New Year's in hospital wow. because my parents called the ambulance because I literally couldn't like sit up or walk or anything. I just pass out. I passed out in front of the ambulance people. I passed out in front of the doc. Like my dad took me to the doctor <laughs> before we called the ambulance. Dad took me to the doctor. And I passed out at the reception desk oh, <laughs> in dear. front of all the patients waiting to see doctors. It was so dramatic. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so when I was so I was stuck in bed, I had to start paying people to look after my horses because I couldn't do them. Mm. I stopped the academy. I was like, I'm really sick. And they were like, just take a break. We'll just see how we go. Um, and... I was just in bed really sick. And then I started having some dreams. And I feel like these were definitely dreams from God. And in these dreams, I was experiencing events that happened to me in my life. But I was experiencing them with the emotion that I never felt at the time because I was so shut down. Okay. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I'd have this. It wasn't like a nightmare, but it was terrifying because it's a lot of emotion to experience when you're not used to feeling emotion. Mm. And I'd wake up. And I could remember these dreams vividly. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this happened to me and I'm terrified. Or, oh, my goodness, this happened to me and whatever emotion I felt. And that was when I realized that um, I was scared of Jason. And it was not a good relationship to be in. Hmm. So I broke up with him. Um, and, yeah, I broke up with him. And then that was that was the end of that. Was there like a spiritual sense um, that it was not a right relationship or was it very obvious in the physical? In what way? So sometimes you just have a bad feeling in in your spirit, like in your gut, Mm -hmm. like I just probably shouldn't be here. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about this person, but I just feel off or they're slapping you around, abusive language, that sort of thing. No, I think I'm a very intuitive person, but because I was so shut down, I would never listen to my gut feelings so much so that I stopped having gut feelings about mm. things. Um, but then it was also like, hard. yeah, it's, it's, it's quite hard to explain. <laughs> mm. um, I think I would have had gut feelings, but sort of numbed that. I just numbed it completely so I didn't feel anything. Mm. So I wasn't happy and I wasn't sad sort of thing. Mm. Um, so I broke up with him and... My health wasn't improving, and doctors are like, we don't know what's wrong with you. They're like, we just think you probably have chronic fatigue after having a virus. Mm. And I was like, surely not. Um, and I decided that I needed to have a completely fresh start. I started being a lot closer to God because of these dreams and things that happened. I was like, my life is just like completely crazy, and I just can't keep going on like this. Mm. And I'd always, I love serving, and... With the horses, I just served the horses. So I literally poured my life out, making these sure these horses in my care. Never wanted for anything. If I had to be out there at 11 o'clock at night feeding them or mm. changing their rugs if it started raining, I'd do it. Like anything, mm. I just poured myself out for these horses. And I was like, what if I could do that for people? Mm. What if, you know, like horses are amazing and God's given us horses. But people are eternal mm. and people are forever. Mm. And horses aren't necessarily. So I wanted to do something that would invest in people. Mm. Um, So I'd just broken up with my ex. I was unable to get out of bed. And I was like, I just want a completely fresh start. Mm. I told the academy that the doctors thought I had chronic fatigue and I wouldn't be able to continue. Um, I sold all my horses. 
And then I saw an advertisement for a job at Greenwood Health in Mochueca, um, on Trade Me for a medical receptionist. And I've never been a medical receptionist, but I saw that job and something inside me went, I think I'd be a good medical receptionist. So I sent an application and literally did my CV, like, you know, worked on 10 or 15 minutes at a time mm. between sleeping because I was just so unwell. Mm. Um, but I was like, it was only a part-time job. And I was like, I can just sit down, answer phone calls, go home, sleep, and then come mm. back and do it again. Yeah. Um, and I had, I've got grandparents and cousins up here in Nelson. So I was like, oh, Nelson's, Nelson would be a nice place. Mm. It'd be, just be nice to get away from Christchurch and have a completely fresh start. So I sent my CV in, and a few days later, I got asked for an interview. Um, so we did a Skype interview, and the Skype broke like 10 minutes into it. So we ended up doing a phone interview, and they'd had lots of people apply, but they gave me the job. Wow. And I, I believe that um, my boss said she'd even had people in to do practice days or in, in-person interviews, and she still gave me the job, which I think was amazing because it can be hard to find jobs in Nelson, mm. but God just totally gave me that job. And I asked my boss later why she gave it to me. And she said, I just had a good feeling about you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm so glad you did, but that's not normally why you'd hire someone. <laughs> yeah. It's like that favor of God just all over your way. Mm. You know? Yeah. He was just like, this is where I want you to be. Mm. Um, and my grandma found me a flat, a lovely Christian flat. And I moved up to Nelson. So in literally two weeks, packed up my whole life. Drove up to Nelson. I wasn't even well enough to drive the whole way up here. Um, but a really nice friend offered to drive me up. So he literally drove up with me, turned around, drove back down again. Wow. Um, which was just amazing. And That's really cool. So cool. It's cool when, um, when you're, you know, you, you can ask God sometimes, you know, which way do you want me to go? Yeah. And he'll normally make whichever way it is really easy. Mm-hmm. There's... Um, there's a there's a great picture that I've been told a couple of times, and it's um you got this uh, a cyclist mm-hmm. and and he's biking and he's he's got the wind against him yeah and it's just blowing and blowing and he's it's really hard work it's really hard work and then this amazing thought comes into his mind and goes you know what I'm just going to turn around the other way mm-hmm. and now the wind is with him yes and it's making everything so much easier, the energy used is way less. And that's how God is, I find, a lot of the time. Sometimes we're like, why is what I'm doing just so hard? Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it's not we're we're going upwind. We're fighting fighting God's plan for us. And then when we go downwind and the wind is now with us, um, it's not that the wind's changed. Yes. It's us. Yes. And we're actually going with God and his plan and everything becomes easier. And that yes. sounds similar to what, would you say, that would, how it was when you moved to Nelson? Yeah, absolutely. Just everything fell into place. Mm. And I, I didn't, you know, hear a booming voice from heaven saying, you shall move to Nelson. <laughs> but it was just like, you know, I'd just be trawling trade bear and then that job would pop up. And I was like, oh, I think yeah. I'd be good at that. You know, so I just... Mm. Everything just fell into place. God's hand was just in everything in an amazing way. Yeah. Um, so I moved up to Nelson, sold my business, packed up everything, two weeks moved to Nelson. Mm. And at the start, I just loved my job. And I'd just come out of a place where I'd been doing horses like crazy. Mm. I started having these crazy dreams. I'd been really unwell. I'd been in this um, traumatic relationship. 
and I was like, well, I don't think I'm good at anything. Mm. I was like, I'm not a creative person. I'm just not good at anything except horses. And I'm too sick to do horses. Mm. So I felt like my identity was just crumbling. Mm. Um, but I loved my job. I felt like I was helping people. Mm. I discovered I was really good at it. I really enjoyed it. You know, a patient would ring up on the phone. They never ring when they're having a good day. Like if you're ringing the doctors, you're like yeah. in pain or you're really unwell. Mm. You know, you just never ring when you're having a good day. And I felt like I could make their day better for them mm. by booking them an appointment with a doctor or listening to them rant for 10 minutes about how terrible, I don't know, what life is. Mm. Um, and I, I just really, really enjoyed that. It was always really busy. There was lots to do. Mm. Um, and I finished at 1.30 every day. So I'd drive to work. I lived in Stoke and worked in Mott's. It's like a 45-minute drive. So I'd drive to work. Um, have worship music playing the whole time, talking to God, it's a special time, drive home from work, and then I'd just be so exhausted and unwell, I'd just sleep all afternoon. Wow. Um, so for the first few months in Nelson, I'd just sleep all afternoon mm. and all night. Um, and then the lockdown happened just after I moved up here, the first lockdown, which is great because I had no obligations to do anything <laughs> social. So it was basically like permission from God just to work and sleep and work and sleep. Um wow which was great, and in that time I just, yeah, really settled in Nelson, and it was like recharging time. Mm. Um, and I started figuring out or realizing I was having more of these dreams, and I started realizing the extent of how shut down I was and the trauma that had happened to me with the eczema and everything else. Mm. Um, and that was when... Yeah, God and I just like sorted out a whole lot of stuff and I just started opening myself up to feel again, mm. which is like sounds crazy, but it's like risky, but it's beautiful because emotions, what makes us human mm. and you know, the ability to feel happy or feel sad or feel empathy for someone, mm. that's beautiful. Yeah. You got to be vulnerable. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And uh, vulnerability is a risk. Yes, because it comes with you know high high reward, but high risk as well. Um, you know, you can only fall in love if you make yourself vulnerable. Yeah, um, and that's what the Lord wants. He's like, you know, open up. Yeah, and um, you know, let me in more or less. Yeah, well, He wants us to fall in love with Him, so we have to open up to Him. Yeah, and I discovered that with horses, when you're shut down you can get good results out of a horse because horses don't understand emotion. Mm. So if you're a really emotional person, horses find that hard to manage mm. um, because that's not how horses are. You know, if a horse comes too close to them and they don't like that, they'll kick them and then they'll graze beside them happily, you know, five minutes later. Like they don't hold grudges and mm. they're not typically prone to angry outbursts. So they don't understand that in people and they find it quite difficult. So if you're shut down, you experience no emotion you can get a lot better results from horses. Mm. But then there's also a point where if you want to have a really deep relationship with a horse, where you're both on the same level, you can't have that if either party's shut down. Yeah. And I started, I was listening to the Warwick Schiller and a lot of his podcasts, and he was going down this crazy direction from being a horse trainer where you have strategies to make the horse do what you want the horse to do. Mm. And he completely changed around and was doing all these things so that the horse just wanted to be with him and he was just listening to the horse and telling the horse that basically horses all want to you know be seen be heard and feel felt mm. and if they feel like feel that in the relationship then 
they're going to be a much better horse to handle mm. and just nicer for everyone. So I was listening to all of his podcasts and everything he said applied to humans. Mm. And a lot of the people here talking on his podcasts were psychologists and counsellors and people mm. that spent a lot of time studying the human brain and studying horses. And there's mm. so many parallels between horses and humans. So it sounds crazy, but I'd literally drive to work and drive home from work listening to horse podcasts mm. and healing inside. <laughs> That's awesome. It's just crazy how God worked everything out because I wasn't going to go and like see a counsellor. Yeah. Um, so he just sent me the counselling in the form of horse podcasts. <laughs> wow, yeah, he really uses anything. He will. He? he will use anything to get his point across. <laughs> yeah. He just meets you where you're at as well. Yeah. Like he understands that, you know, if he puts a counsellor in your path, you're not going you're gonna ignore him. Yeah. But you're gonna pick up a horse podcast. Yes. I'll put a counsellor in that. <laughs> She'll listen. <laughs> That's brilliant. I like that. Yeah, so cool. And I did go see a counsellor later, and that was really helpful. But at that point in my life, I was like, I'm not going to see a counsellor. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was just me and God and work mm. and lots and lots and lots of Warwick Schiller podcasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So is that pretty much caught us up to roughly where we are now and, and you're serving with Actually, that that really amazes me how you said that you loved the lockdown. And then when we first met you, you go to like 15 different Bible studies throughout the <laughs> yeah. week. And you're saying you just wanted to be away from people. Something's changed. So I think basically the word is Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first few months I was up here, I was just living in a flat in Stoke and basically just existing and healing. Yeah, And then gradually I started to open up. And, you know, little things like when I was a kid, I played piano. But as soon as I was allowed to stop, I did. And I was like, I hate piano. I hate piano. Mm. But then there was a piano in the flat I lived in. Mm. And so sometimes I just sit there and I just teach myself to read music again. Mm. And I was like, I'm not a creative person. I was like, I'm not musical at all. But I just sit at the piano. And then, you know, after a while, I started writing songs. And it's really easy for me to write songs. And it's just. You know, just words I have on my heart just flow and I can now just sit at a piano and play and I play many other instruments and I would call myself a very musical person, a very creative person. Yeah. But I just started to open up and just God worked in amazing ways. Um, and, yeah, so much has happened in a really short time since I moved to Nelson. So I was just on this journey and I started wanting to meet new people because I was new to the area. I started having a bit more energy so I'd come home from work, sleep in the afternoon, and then go out for the evening. Mm. Um, so I'd go out to different young adults' Bible studies. Mm. You know, I'd go to the Monday group, and there'd be 10 or 15 young adults, and they'd be like, there's no young adults in Nelson. And then I'd go to the Tuesday group, and there'd be 10 or 15 young adults, and they'd say, there's no young adults in <laughs> Nelson. Yeah, yeah. But they were different people, and they wouldn't often intermingle. Mm. So in a very short period of time, I knew like maybe 50 or 60 young adults mm. that hardly knew each other. Mm. I was like, right, this is interesting. So then I was like, what if we organize young adults events that they can all come to? Mm. You know, it doesn't matter if you go to the Anglican church or the Mm. Baptist church or no church at all. Mm. You can just come along and we can just praise God together, network, build his kingdom. Um, And some people have been quite influential, been Matt and Tim. So Mm. Matt lives here and you guys would have met Tim as well on Sunday. So I used to flat with Tim. 
And we'd often chat for ages and ages and ages because he loves talking. And Matt and Tim always wanted to do an evening service. Mm. But they love talking about things. And after a while, I'm a doer. And I love organizing events. Like I used to organize horse shows with hundreds of horse, mm. hundreds of horses attending. So they talked about it. I was like, right, I'm going to do it. Mm. So I made it happen. And I guess from there it's just snowballed. And now I try every single minute of my life, I try and invest into raising people up and building people up. Mm. Um, so I work part-time as a medical receptionist. Because of COVID, I'm working from home. That's another whole story. <laughs> um, and then the rest of my time, I'm working with youth venture, organizing young adult events. Mm. Um, going evangelizing on the street, giving out food boxes. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, so many amazing things have just snowballed from that. Yeah. Wow. wow. That's awesome. And um, is that roughly where, so that, that's pretty much how we met. So yeah. I'm assuming that's roughly yes. how, where we're caught up to today. Yes. Because we um, messaged you on the Facebook, um, what's it called? Christian Events, Nelson? Nelson. Young adult Christian events or something yeah. like that. <laughs> and um, yeah, Abigail was on there. She's the admin for that. So we messaged and, and you know, you're super keen to join us on the podcast. And, um, you know, you, you're such a lovely person. I love how you've tied God in through, you know, trauma. For example, you had the, the um, eczema. Mm-hmm. And from that, God, you know, if you if you had never had that, you might have never got into the um, disabled horse riding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So God, like, is that a blessing or a curse that you had the eczema early on? Long run, you've got this love for horses that you might have never had, and God might have known that you would have never gone that path. So not that he caused the eczema, but yeah. allowed it, not, and using everything for good. Because the Bible says that, doesn't it, Laura? Mm, yeah. God uses all things for good for those who love him. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, like, I don't regret anything that's happened to me in my life because now – I have a really wide understanding of people that are shut down or people mm. that have emotional disturbances. And I've got a lot of tools from horse training to deal with that in people yep. and in horses. Mm. And the healing that can happen to people and horses through that is remarkable. And I would never have had any experience with that without it. Yeah, come so on. I don't regret any of it. In fact, I, I don't even know what God wants me to do with that in the future. Yeah. But it's like a watch this space. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm almost certain that we're, we're – there's another testimony coming from where you're at now because God's put this rest in you, this restoration, this, this drive and thrive Mm. to do what you do now. Yeah. Um, and this amazing ability to coordinate so many people together to Mm. come on, let's worship the Lord together. It doesn't matter where you're from. Yeah. You know, that just doesn't actually happen in a lot of towns. Yeah. Um, No. It's it's really rare, so it's a it's awesome. Like it takes a unique person to step out and do that. Um, yeah, very very cool. Um, Laura, did you have any questions? No. no? I want to ask some advice for anybody that might be going through a similar scenario throughout your your life. Maybe they um, feel like they don't know where to go in mm-hmm. life. Would you suggest either horses or getting into something? that God can connect with them, whatever it is. It could be horses. It could be speaking in tongues just away from people is what I do. Mm-hmm. It could be mountaineering. That's what Laura does to get close to God. Yeah. Is there any advice that you would give somebody listening to this podcast going, I, str- I feel distant from God. 
what can I do? What's something, some practical stuff that you would advise? My biggest suggestion would be just to step out in faith. Mm. Like if if something's like God reveals new things all the time. Like if your life or your walk with Him is stagnant, then you need to do something. Because mm. usually it means it's because we have put God in a box mm. and we have limited God. Like yep. God doesn't limit God, we limit God. Mm. So my best advice would be step out in faith. And you mm. don't necessarily have to know what direction you're going in because I find a lot of people, myself included, like I'm going to wait until I hear from God where he wants mm. me to go and then I'll go. But what I've found is you have to just step out mm. whichever direction. Just pick a direction and step out in faith. Mm. And he'll honor that because if you step out wholeheartedly seeking him, mm. you will find him and he will very quickly redirect you if you're in the wrong direction. Mm. But I find that usually if you're willing to step out in faith mm. and you just start stepping out, you're usually in the right direction. Yeah. God and if can it, only move a steering, no, he can only steer a moving ship. Yeah, yeah that's, that's so mm. true. So my biggest advice would just be just step out, just take a risk. Mm. Yeah. Because um, you normally find out pretty quick if you go in the wrong way. Yeah, <laughs> but and if it, you stand and wait, he'll he'll redirect you if you're going the wrong way. But if you're yeah. wholeheartedly seeking him and you step mm. out, he won't let you fall. Yeah, and he will redirect you if you go the wrong direction. I love that, and it just builds faith. Faith actually yeah. builds faith. Absolutely. Yeah, Very it's a cool. muscle you've got to practice using. <laughs> oh, I like that faith <laughs> and muscle. <laughs> awesome. Um, cool. So we'll finish there. Yeah. Hey, thank you for joining us on the Jesus Magnet podcast. You're an amazing person. And, um, you know, thank you for listening, for all those people listening on the podcast. I hope that this podcast helped, uh, you know, connect you with God and um, stay with us for more episodes on the Jesus Magnet podcast. And, um, yeah, we'll see you next time. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and join the community. Join the, the Jesus Magnet Coffee Club if you want to support us. But um, yeah, have a wonderful day and we'll see you next time on the Jesus Magnet Podcast.